Hi, welcome to Direct to Chile, a podcast to help you navigate the ins and outs of doing business in Chile. I'm your host, Ahmed Navalrai. I have lived over 10 years in Chile. I hope to speak to industry experts, entrepreneurs, and really understand their story of how they navigated successfully or unsuccessfully their time in Chile. Today we have somebody who really helped me. The gentleman's name is Matias Barajona. He is the owner of Multivende. Matias, welcome to the show. Hi, Mitch. Thank you for having me. I want to start, Matias, telling you why I contacted you, I don't know if it was four or five years ago, and maybe that'll help explain what Multivende is in my eyes, and then I'll let you give the proper explanation. So about uh, four years ago or five years ago, we were selling in uh, Mercado Libre. Uh, we sell consumer electronics, so Apple products, Samsung, uh, GoPro, JBL, etc. And uh, I don't know what happened exactly because we had products in our website and we had it in Multivente. And for some reason, Mercado Libre sold extremely well, extremely fast, and we'd run out of products. And that's when I realized that synchronizing the inventory across multiple sales channels is going to be the key to actually scale our business. And uh, I asked Mercado Libre and they referred me to you and another competitor. And after a bit of due diligence, I decided to go with you. In addition to synchronizing the inventory, Multivende allows me to have a different price list for different sales channels. Given that each sales channel has separate commissions and separate uh, costs of shipping, uh, I can't have the same pricing in all the channels. And Multivende also allows me to prepare the shipping labels immediately. So I keep track of the inventory, I keep track of the sales and the margins that I want, and it helps me with the actual shipping labels. So thanks to your product, we went from back then doing one to $1.5 million sales to 2021 uh, passing $14 million in sales. I obviously attribute part of that to COVID, not all to you. But honestly, without Multivente, we could not have reached to where we were. So that's my definition of Multivente. But why don't you jump in and tell me what is Multivente in your eyes? Sure, of course. Thank you, Mitch, for the introduction. Well, actually, I founded Multivende almost maybe six years ago. So you were one of the first flagship clients, like irrelevant, when we already had some part of a product already built. And yes, what, what we do in Multivende is that we create technology to help merchants like you that has uh, huge, huge uh, challenges for reaching their customers. Like if you sit on the customer side of the table, we are all really demanding, you know? We want to buy whenever we want, wherever we want, at the prices that, that we expect are just for us uh, and are fair for us. Um, and that's hard for the merchant. I mean, you have to be everywhere. You have to be in Mercado Libre, in Amazon, in, in the future Walmart. You have to have your own Shopify store uh, just to uh, control more the experience of the customer. And if I'm a customer and I want to buy your products by, I don't know, Amazon, I want you to be there. If you are not there, I will go for your competitor. Um, so that challenge is huge for everyone in the industry across all, all the industry of uh, you know, consumer goods. Not only not really electronics, but but uh, uh, fashion and everyone has the same problem. So what we what I did was a company that uh, has only one product for now. It's multivende.com, uh, where you can upload your catalog 
you can connect your the main sales channels in the region, in Latin America, and then you can publish your products, synchronize the, the, the stock uh, live. I mean, if someone buys you something in Amazon or in, in Mercado Libre, uh, we will take that order, we will prepare it, and then just the technology, not the, not the fulfillment, you know? The technology to take that, that order and synchronize the stock everywhere. And as you said very, very well, also in the logistics. Every channel has different types of logistics, uh, rules like SLAs, and in the platform that I created and we created with my team what happens is that you can do everything there in kind of a streamlined operation so that's what Motivando does and can you give us an idea of where you are today in terms of scale how many customers do you have in Chile and other countries how many brands do you manage any any financial metrics you can share with us yeah sure we, we started as a good startup with one client we, we were very small by the time but today we're we're growing a, a year after year every month we handle like half a million orders from our customers. Half a million? Yes, half a million orders from our customers in four countries. Yeah, like 7,000 brands. I mean, less companies, like 400 companies, but some of them are multi-brand uh, multi uh, as Mobile Hut is. So over 7,000 brands uh, uses Multivende. And that's it, we are 45 people. Half of them are like engineering and product. It's a hard business to be because it's technology for operations. That's not like always very, very hard. Uh, and the rest is, the, you know, like a customer support uh, and, and, and customer success. And the rest of the team is like, you know, finances, uh, HR, and, uh, and of course, uh, sales. Uh, that, that's it. Got it. And can you share customers, like some big customers, other than Mobile Hut, obviously? Of course. Uh, yeah, I think uh, international brands that are easier for everyone who can listen to this podcast uh, to, to get is uh, Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, Samsonite. Uh, Dewalt, um, Stanley Black and Decker. Uh, these are regional. They are global brands that operates some of the countries here with, uh, in Latin America with Multivend. Uh, how did COVID affect your business? I know it it quadrupled my sales, but what's your story and your experience with COVID? Yeah, COVID. Uh, first, on the, on the human side, uh, it was not that bad for us. Like the team was okay. Sadly, some some relatives were not that okay, but uh, the the core team was okay. Uh, so. But uh, in the business, it was it, it was a huge, huge leap forward. That, that's I think that's, that's the way to say it. Like uh, we were already a small team, we had a good product, and we were doing things in the best way we could. But um, COVID changed everything. Uh, I always uh, remember I, I got this guy that we were we were talking for like a couple of months already to buy Multivendan to use it in the company he was uh, leading, and he was like, "Okay, we'll see in the next quarter. Maybe I will jump into e-commerce." Like, Next time, I will talk to the directory, the advisory board, etc. And the COVID like jumped in, and he calls me on a Saturday, uh, and he tells me, "Matias, I'm so sorry that I called you on a Saturday, but I need to start selling everywhere on Monday. You tell me how much it costs, how to do it, what, what we should do, but I need to be up on Sun on, on Monday." So you can see that uh, that was a general situation for the entire industry. So it was a change. We, we the sales cycle went from months to days. Yes really really fast uh, and also it was the, the same cycle but also how uh, you know especially like more senior management saw e-commerce you know it, it wasn't like a, a a trend it wasn't anymore something like a maybe we should do because some guys in the u.s or in other countries are doing it's like we have to do it to survive and we have to do it to, to thrive 
and that changed everything for our industry, for our industry. You, you were really like a you you, you saw it coming a few years earlier than your competitors and a lot of things because you started you started way before COVID. Yes. Yeah, I mean it definitely helped, and uh, to be honest with you, the 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 cost of the rentals of the malls was just becoming unsustainable. So as traffic went from offline to online and and the malls did not, they were stubborn. They didn't want to even listen. We went from 14 retail stores to today two. My sales has gone up times three and I'm now doing it with 12 less physical stores. 12 less physical stores, we're talking about 50, 40 staff less. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. So, I want to talk about the team. You mentioned, uh, you know, you have a, a good team. I, I personally find uh, hiring uh, competent, good value staff, I found it difficult in my 10 years in Chile. You, a fast-growing SaaS software as a service technology company, I'm assuming that was also a struggle for you. How did you go about hiring talent? And can you tell us the issues you've had in that process? Sure. Um, it's been an, an issue, of course, as always. Like finding talent and retaining talent is an issue for every company, especially for small companies that are starting, you know. I think it takes time. And also it takes, um, you have to really focus on culture. Because when you have, it's hard in the beginning because you have to build from scratch a culture of, uh, you know, of people who want to, to do things, to, they, they are hands on and they want to go forward and they want to reach the, the goals. Um, that's hard in the beginning, but once you have it, it's a little bit easier to keep because, uh, if you are an overachiever, you want to work with overachievers. You don't want to work with people who, people who's lazy or who just works for, for the, for the money. You want to work with people who is very, very good at what they do. That's works in both ways, you know? When someone new goes into the team and they see that people is committed and, and they want to do things, uh, if they, they are not like that, they feel uncomfortable and they leave. And at the same time, when someone like that arrives and they are not like fitting in with the team, the team will be like, I'm not sure if I want to work with that guy, you know, or girl. So yes, that, that's it. It was hard for, for me. I'm a like a, I am I'm a software developer myself. So the technology part for me is easier to find and select people because I know what I'm talking about firsthand. So yeah, like the developers are really really hard to uh, to hire. But I think that when you have a good core of technology and you love technology, it would be easier easier to add some people in that team. So you mentioned you're a developer. Are you still coding? Like, are you in charge? Are you the CTO of the company? Or have you delegated that to other people? I delegated that to, sadly, a couple of years ago. Uh, I loved development. I do, I, I love to develop things. I, I and now I'm doing, like, a, in my free time, I, I try to learn some things. I learn Python. I am learning a lot of uh, AI in my scale, you know? I, I'm learning by myself. But no, sadly, no, I, a couple of years ago, I stopped developing in multivending because every time I, I did it, I just broke everything that the other people were doing in their own processes that I don't follow exactly anymore. So yes, I, I could now I, 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 I stay related to the product from the product side. Sadly, no technology. I, I, I hate it, but it's, it's natural. You mentioned AI. I want to talk about that later on. I first want to understand the challenges of growing Multivente. Is the issue adding features fast enough compared to your competitors? Is the issue geographical expansion so that merchants like me can sell in other countries and other channels? What is the core, like what, what is your direction today? Okay, so first challenges, I think one big challenge is that e-commerce goes really, really, really fast, especially marketplaces and also platforms as Shopify, Vitex and big commerce, etc. They compete like fiercely, fiercely. 
in every every segment and that competition leads to a lot of innovation so they compete a lot uh, you can see for example mercado libre that's a really well-known case they are a huge huge company flagship in latin america for sure and they are shipping new things like the futures not uh, packages uh, shipping new technology every quarter and you have to be on top of that like you you can't be ah, this this semester i will not handle that kind of logistics for example you can't say that because it's you you can't leave your customers behind you know and your customers also have to compete so it's extremely difficult to keep up to every platform that are innovating really really fast and that's part of the the, the challenge and also part, part of the interesting part you know you learn a lot every day and you do fun stuff all the time i spoke to franklin your your ceo uh, of Chile operations to ask, uh, I told him that when I'm having this podcast with you and I asked him, give me the one question I should ask, you know, the boss, Matias. And he said, I'm going to first say it in Spanish and then I translate it. Piensas en algunos momentos que la tecnología va más rápido que tú. Uh, so I translate that. Do you feel that sometimes the, te that the tech and the technology is moving faster than you? And you just happen to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a challenge. Um, it's also a challenge to choose. You know, uh, sometimes you choose. You can choose, and others you can't. The ones you can't, you just do. With the ones you can choose, you have to prioritize, and that's a super thin layer between like a success and failure. Uh, it's not very, very easy to be able to say that's noise, that's not noise, that's mandatory, that's not mandatory. What do we do? So yeah, that that's a huge challenge. Uh, Getting behind, I'm, I'm not. I'm not scared, but it's something that I have to have under my view all the time. What I find messy or complicated or challenging of your business is that you're the middleman because you depend on the technology integration and features by by giants like you know Mercado Libre Falabella. Let's just say they're seventy percent of my online business. I don't see them being as good companies in terms of communicating with, with lesser size merchants. So if they decide to alter a feature in their tech stack, I don't see them, hey, Matias, I'm about to change ABC. Uh, you know, is that okay? I see them just going, changing whatever they want. And then, and then the customers and the other side realizing that there has been an issue, reporting to Multivende and customer support, hey, this is what's happened. And then you finding out, not because of the communication from your tech partners, but from your customers, that there is an issue. And I feel that's something that is out of control. So if I'm you and I can't control that, I have a team of, of developers for support. But then my team is focused more on growth. My team is focused on the next sales channel, on more new features. So, you know, you have a limited resource, limited budget. You know, you don't, you haven't raised external funding. That's your decision. But I think that's the challenge. And that would make me uh, lose sleep at night because I feel you don't control much what's next. Am I wrong with that assumption? Y yes and no, because we have several cases, you know, with some channels, we have a, a quite good relationship and we just build together. I mean, every day is super messy. For example, Mercado, with Mercado Libre, we, we have backlogs together for, for years already. Uh, and we say, okay, in two quarters ahead, like uh, by the end of the year, we will launch fulfillment by whatever. So let's build that together from now to the end of the year. That doesn't take out the messy, the mess of every day, you know, uh, the, the bugs, uh, bad, bad implemented futures, infrastructure problems, that, that's part of the, the deal, you know? Uh, I think that as, a, as an entrepreneur, you have to choose 
what mess to clean every day. I mean, if you if you love fulfillment, you will have to deal with I don't know a drunken dr drunk driver who didn't arrive in the morning to pick the packages. If you love that, do that. I, I prefer to deal with the servers, not running. Okay, so the the messy part is part of the deal. That's it. Uh, but with some of them, we are we, we we were able to find ways to work together. And also another thing, important thing is that uh, every channel has different level of maturity. You know, you have Mercado Libre with 20 years, Amazon with 30, 20 or more as a marketplace, and you have Paris from Sencosud. They have three years or four years, I think. So it's normal that different le maturity levels uh, reaches different, uh, you know, results. I, you know, you mentioned Paris. I remember about a year ago, we were six months already in Paris marketplace, and I got an email on Friday, 11.30 p.m. And I happened to be on the computer because the kids were sleeping. And the email says, change of commission. Change of commission, Friday, 11.30 at night. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're asking for a call to discuss new commissions. And it was, imagine it was Friday, 26th of April. It was Saturday, 27th of April. Here is the new table of commissions. And for my category, they were increasing commissions by not half a percent of one. Some categories were three to five percent. Three to five percent is sometimes my margin. Now at Friday, 11.30 at night, I have 1,000 SKUs. To change the pricing on Friday night at 11.30 at night of 1,000 SKUs, when the team already worked extremely hard, I just replied and saying, no problem, email received, and I messaged my team, please uh, put all the stock on Paris Marketplace to zero. Not interested in working like this. But it just goes to show Paris is part of a giant in Chile called Cinco Sur. They've just overtaken the group of Falabella. We're talking about a $6 billion market cap, $6 billion. And they make decisions like that. It shows either how desperate they are or how the key management haven't taken marketplace that seriously. I think they're nervous and they're playing catch up uh, to Mercado Libre and to Falavela. Uh, but something like that should never happen for a company at that level. Sorry, I just wanted to, you mentioned Paris and that story came to my mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I was going to tell you, uh, you mentioned that uh, we are in between, you know, in between the marketplace, the customer, etc. Uh, and always still, uh, when, 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 when a team start, start to heat up, You know, we are having a problem with the technology and Paris says they're not them or Mercado Libre or whatever. We know they're them. Let's talk together, but they're not answering. And what do we tell to the customers that are firing us and then sending thousands of emails? What if it's not working? I say, okay, stop. We have to understand something. First of all, we are in the same side of the table. First, with the marketplace. And when we are okay with the marketplace, we bring the customer to the same side of the table. We are not opposite positions. We are the same side because we all want to grow. We want the marketplace to grow. We, are, we want the customer to grow. And we, of course, want to grow. So that's I, that what I wanted to calm down, uh, you know, uh, because it's understandable that the, my team feels really pressured uh, by myself, myself too when something is not working. Because uh, Multivende is, and, and merchants, it's full operations. I mean, operations are 24-7. They can't stop. So when you have a problem that goes, a problem that goes one hour, two hours, three hours, like the, the truck is outside waiting for the packages, you, it's easier to get like you know, a little bit uh, angry, but uh, you don't have to lose out of your sight that we are all, all in the same side of the table. Sure. I actually think, I think you should be on their side of the table. And let me, let me elaborate. If I was the management of Falavela, Paris or Ripley, 
I would make you an offer that would be too good to be true. And I would just bring you on board, bring your product on board and immediately switch off the other two retailers uh, presence online. Because think about it, you have 400 customers in Chile mentioning you said 7,000 brands. That's a sizable chunk of their business, especially in terms of their marketplace, especially if you're looking at Paris or Ripley. So if Paris or Ripley want to compete with Meli or Fala, I think it'd be easy to just make you an offer you cannot resist. But hey, that's just me. Yeah, I, I, just to tell you something, it's 400 clients in, in four countries already. So it's Chile, Peru, Colombia, Mexico. So we went regional and that will be taking ransom with the customer. I understand that what, what you say. I think for everyone it's useful that multi-end exists. I understand your point, for sure. So, so let me go into that a bit more. I mentioned that a retailer uh, acquiring you would be one potential exit for yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your cap table? You know, what's your ownership of the company? How many other investors do you have? And, you know, what are their prospects of an exit? Well, first of all, I, I'm today I'm the sole owner of Multivende. 100%? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, today is 100%. Wow. Yes. Uh, we haven't del deleted. Uh, actually, um, that's that's a long story. But um, I decided to not raise that much money. Uh, I raised uh, what would, what, what uh, you could call like a friends, family, and fools money in the beginning. We paid that back to everyone with the with the same uh, your cash flow of Multivende. And um, now when we need to do something that we don't have cash for, we go to the bank and we ask them for money. Uh, we, we try to do smart things that pay off by themselves. It doesn't always work well, like uh, perfectly, but we try to do that. And potential exits, actually, uh, I don't, I try to not to think too much about that because for, for me it was always the same thing. Like if I want to build a business for the future that uh, it's uh, a good business and it, it lasts for a long time for me and, and everything, uh, that's doing showing up every morning to do the job, you know, and doing a good work with the customers and the merchant in, in, in this case. And, and if one moment in the future I want to be acquired, it's the same thing. I, I have to have a good business that works for, by itself, uh, growing steadily over the years with a good market and good, good customers and good relationships. So I try to do that. And I will, I will ask myself, what do I do in the future when it's in the moment? Uh, for now, I have been contacted by a couple of VCs. Maybe in the future, we will, I will talk about with them again. Uh, acquisitions, one time, but uh, kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't warm just to, 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 to look around. Um, but yeah, I, I think today, Multivendi works, grows every year. Uh, and that's the point of our business, you know? Sure. Do, do you have positive EBITDA? Are you month on month profitable? Yes. Yes, I have positive EBITDA, so that uh, gives, me, gives me a runway of uh, whatever it takes. I don't know. Uh, as long as uh, things don't change that much, uh, Ukraine, Russia, um, the world, and COVID, and whatever, we live in messy times. Uh, really hard to predict what's going to happen uh, two days from now. But uh, in regular terms, we have cash flow to do stuff and to grow. So your positive cash flow, you have a software as a service business, which means you have high margins. You are the sole owner, owning 100% of the business, and you're able to get bank financing in this market at this level of interest rates. So if Paris or Ripley do acquire you, I will take my 2% cut, I will send you a bill, or you, or you can finance my next holiday. That's awesome. I really, uh, I really think you've built a solid business and I, 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 you know, I have nothing but congratulations. Let's move on from uh, Multivende. Let's talk about AI. 
you know, artificial intelligence, generative AI. We also, Elon Musk and thousand other people with their letter, you know, asking to slow down because we're going to be, you know, Skynet, Terminator 2 type scenario. Where are you? What is your thinking of AI today? Do you sleep well? Is it taking over your job? Or what are your thoughts on AI? Oh, there, there's a lot of things to talk about AI. Um, first of all, I think uh, a very, very hard thing to do right now is to make the distinction between uh, the music and the noise, you know? Uh, I think AI is amazing. Uh, I think it opens huge opportunities and, and it will be radical in the way that it changes a lot of things uh, in our world, you know? Uh, but I also think there is a lot of noise and you have to be able to separate that to those two sides of the story. What, what percentage? Are you 70% music, 30% noise, 80, 20? What, what, what ratio are you in? Uh, no, no, I think it's, I think it's, it's 30% music, 70% noise. I mean, it's, especially with chat GPT, it's very hard to, to make a, you know, uh, to see what's going to happen with chat GPT in two, three, ten years more. But I think I follow Jan Lee Kuhn. It's one of the fathers of the AI. He's a French researcher that was doing some stuff that we see today, but in the 80s. And he's the head of AI in Meta, in Facebook. What's his name? Jan Lee Kuhn. He's a French researcher. Yes. Uh, and, and he said, quote, Before being worried about a god-like AI, we should try to get a dog-like AI. So that's a huge, huge challenge first, like a dog AI. Um, a dog is smarter, way smarter than ChatGPT for now. And so I think we have a lot of steps to, to, to give before being very, very scared. I mean, that's if you are not in an industry who is very, very, you know, challenged by AI as a content generation. I think that's a really, really hard industry to be right now. Uh, writers, uh, designers, etc. because it's not that they are not important at all. They are super important, but a lot of part with very, very uh, uh, like a time consuming, it will be done like this. So that's super hard. And other industries will be less challenged. Right? Everyone will change. I think all industries will change, but some of them will change a lot more than others. Uh, so it, it depends on who is who is listening to this podcast to, to think, is my, is, it my, is my industry industry going to be challenged? And, and to what point? Yeah, but the other argument is if I run a marketing or design company and now the current staff I have can do the work that much faster and are using ChatGPT for research or DALI for some ideas, they are more productive. If I have a company that's more productive, rather than just firing more people, I can get new customers and grow my business because their output is more per employee. Yes, yeah, that's true. So what are you following? Are you getting newsletters of AI? Are you on Substack, Reddit? What What are you using to get up to date? Okay, so I, I use a lot LinkedIn. I follow some guys like Jan Lee Kuhn and Stephen Wolfram. They are usually researchers. With them, it's who I learn with. I, I try to read a lot of papers and, and, and a lot of information from them. I And in general, I use a lot of Reddit. I use Reddit a lot. I follow everything there. And there's a lot of news of everything there, like AI and also politics, etc. Got it. I'm more of a Twitter guy. I like uh, I get my news feeds from Twitter and uh, podcasts, all-in podcasts, things like that. Um, let's talk about Elon Musk. You know, is he a hero or is he a villain for you? You know, you're a techie. Is Elon a hero? Uh, it's it, it's super hard to, to answer that. I don't know if you have some some ideas over that because I follow Elon Musk and I, I never know if he's a villain or a, 
or a hero. So maybe you can tell me. I know he's vilified for, I don't even know if that's a word. I know he's hated for <laughs> his handling of, of, of Twitter and firing of thousands of people. I think Twitter was what, six, 7,000 people and now he's running it for with a thousand people. I know he's lost advertisers and people hate him, but just look at SpaceX. I'm not even getting into Tesla and how he's saving the, the the world, you know, in terms of green, in terms of green and uh, carbon emissions. I think uh, this whole going to Mars and having a rocket that's going to go up there and colonize Mars. I think that in itself is a project worth. I think history is going to look back, and I hope he makes it. And I think uh, you know he's got with Starlink the the satellites that he sent to Ukraine. I think now the new Falcon X rockets, I believe 600 Starlink satellites can fit in. So once that's up and running by next year working, the whole world's going to have not free internet, whatever he decides, but it's going to be much cheaper than what we've got today. And then you add the tunnels, you know, you add his Cybertruck. For me, no matter how bad he is, no matter how much of a big ego he has, no matter how much he insults people on Twitter and his ego, buying Twitter was a mistake. You know, it's gone from 40 billion to under, he thinks 22 billion, the market thinks it's under 10 billion. I think the guy deserves a crown. And uh, does he have like 10 children? I think seven. Seven, yeah, so. I, I don't know if he's, he's, he's done really much, but he has seven. He's not perfect, but I think he's, I think he's a hero. Okay, I, I, I don't like one thing of Elon Musk. Uh, I appreciate and I admire him a lot, of course. But um, one, one thing that I don't love is that when you read Bill Gates, for example, he's another tech leader that changed the world. When you read a, a book from him, he will say something like, okay, I want to help to solve this problem. Uh, it takes a lot of people, a lot of effort, governments, researchers, like uh, normal people in the streets, and maybe me, but I can help a little bit because I have all the money in the world, you know? Uh, when you read Elon Musk, is I will do that. Like, uh, I think he, I think his public figure, because as a person, he would be completely different, of course. His public figure is a little bit, uh, you know, he, I think he feels maybe fairly that he can solve everything. Um, but anyway, as you say, I think history will, will be kind with Elon Musk. Yeah, I mean, I think Bill and Melinda Gates, I think Jeff Bezos, I think Zuckerberg, they're all heroes. But God, if you read Twitter, there are millions of people who hate Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. They, you know, the conspiracy theories in America uh, about Zuck, about Zuckerberg and, and especially Bill Gates and financing, you know, all the vaccinations and becoming richer in the last decade. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the reputation of a Warren Buffett. I get that. Uh, you know, who's idolized and respected worldwide. But for me, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, all of them are up there. But anyway, that's my heroes. So can you tell us something about yourself personally? Do you see yourself retiring in Chile? Or I believe uh, your partner is from France. Do you see yourself going back to, to beautiful France one day? What are your thoughts of retirement? Do you wait for, you know, uh, you know, like an F you money? Once I have fuck you money, once I have, I don't know, 20, 30 million dollars in the bank, I'm leaving the country. What are your thoughts on retirement and when do you want to retire? I have two really opposite positions. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, I will not retire. Uh, like in no time. I, I love to work. I love to, I love to do no, new stuff. So if I can, if I can work and add value to forever, I will try. And some other, some other days, I wake up and I say, I want to go to a mountain. <laughs> I want to retire to the, you know, the wilderness. Uh, but I don't know. I will see. I think um, I will try. I, I will try to live uh, day after day. Yeah, France for me. You know, my my wife is French. Uh, my kids are French too. I actually I, I will try to build an international life. 
maybe I will not be, I, I will not have one country. Maybe I will be moving between France and the US and Chile and maybe I don't know. So yeah, I, I think I will try to step by step see if how is my will be confronted with my reality and see how can I live a fulfilling, happy life for, for me and for the people around myself. You know, you, you mentioned happiness. Is that your definition of success? What to you is being successful? For me today, uh, happiness and time. I think that's it. Like if you are happy, I mean, of course, if you are healthy and you have uh, some kind of life that allows you to be okay, you know, if you are living the streets with nothing to cover your head, of course, you, it, it's very hard to be happy and to be successful, of course. But once once you have covered the things that uh, maybe uh, you, you are healthy and you have some resources to live well, I think time is it's, it's amazing. The definition of success for me is time. Well, today, I, I can drive my kids to school. I can sleep not that late. Uh, in the beginning with Multivende, I didn't sleep. I just worked. Uh, it was terrible for five, four years. Uh, it was uh, extremely long uh, work days. And it was extremely demanding, extremely. But today, I can drive my kids to school. If they are sick, I pick them. I bring them to the doctor. Uh, I, for me, that's success. And also, of course, uh, growing and being feel work of course and doing new stuff and growing sure no but i think you're hitting the nail for me time is essential being able to do what i want to do whenever i want to do it like it's now 11 a.m and instead of being in the office uh preparing for cyber i'm here having a conversation with a friend you know so i think that's key i'm in the i'm in the beach yeah you're in the beach that's beautiful yeah <laughs> so you're more successful that's even better <laughs> I think we've spoken a little bit about about Multivente. We've spoken a little bit about your um, about your personal life and what takes you. Your definition of success. Uh, let's jump into a, a, a quick rapid fire. Yeah, I'm gonna give you some questions, and if you can just tell me first thing that comes on your mind, uh, that'd be great. Let's start. I give you a million dollars. You have to invest it in Amazon or Google. Amazon. I'm going to go for Google. Tesla or NVIDIA? NVIDIA. Agree. Tesla is a bit at the value today and the amount of competitors coming up. And NVIDIA is, you know, in terms of AI, right. it's powering. Apple or Meta? Apple, by far. Apple? Yes. You don't believe in this metaverse that uh, Zuck is creating? My opinion in this, in this uh, I, it's my idea. Of course, I don't know what's going on in Zuckerberg's uh, head, but I think the metaverse uh, maybe will work. Uh, what's behind the metaverse decision is one fear that Facebook has a layer, has a wall between meta and the users. That is the hardware. Like uh, if meta doesn't control the hardware, he can be cut in the middle. Today, Apple can do uh, with AI, even with AI, imagine that what, 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 how many times do you look at your phone every day? I mean, maybe 200 times? Yeah, I do over 100. Okay, so they can look at your face over 100 times every day of your life. They know what you do, what you eat. They know when, when you go to the bathroom because you have your phone in your pocket and then you use it. So if you have that, you have billions of dollars in cash, you have researchers, you can do everything. It's not that you can like try to understand a little bit based on data or maybe a little bit on preferences. They have everything about you. They can create an, an avatar of yourself that knows everything based on the knowledge of you, like in your pocket, in your house. They have all that information. On the other hand, you have Meta, that I think, uh, you know, two years ago, I think yeah, two years ago, sales went down yeah. because Apple decided to change their privacy policy. 
you know, and an ad advertising policy. Uh, that was, I think that was uh, Apple saying, okay, I can cut, you know, the current every time I can, I want. I will go for the passport for the consumers directly. I have them, they have me in their phone, in, the, in their pockets, uh, not in some server, whatever meta works in their pockets. So I would bet for Apple all the time. I don't know exactly if the decision is good if because if the market already put that thoughts in the price today, maybe, I don't know, the, the price will not go up as I think. But if I have to choose today for the long term, I would put it on Apple, of course. Yeah, I mean, you would think Apple has the trust, number one brand in the world, I would say. And Apple has $2.7 trillion market cap and what is it? $100 plus billion dollars in cash. But I'm going to go for Meta. I'm going to go for Meta. I'll tell you why. I think, uh, I think America before the next election is going to ban TikTok. And when that happens, I think Instagram is going to explode even further. I think Instagram is going to become smarter. It's going to have a lot of AI features. And I think it's going to be a winner. And I think even bigger than Instagram, I think WhatsApp. They're quite WhatsApp, right? Facebook owns WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think WhatsApp is going to be like WeChat in China. And WhatsApp is going to be the, the biggest payment, the wallet system in the world. And I think it's going to make, you know, uh, Mercado, Pago and the other wallets around the world less relevant. So I think Zuck's going to crush it. I really do. I think I know. Well, I don't know, but I think Elon's going to be the first trillionaire. But I think Zuck's going to be multiple trillion dollars. Anyway, uh, we could go on and on just talking about those four companies. Last book you read and enjoyed. It was um, The World War II by Winston Churchill. Uh, it's an amazing book because Winston Churchill was the prime minister of uh, England for the World War II, and he had in their hand a quarter of the world. You know, it was a uh, Winston Churchill, FDR, Hitler, and um, Stalin. So this guy, like, was the, the main character of the world, and he tells you about how was it, and it's amazing. It's an incredible guy. He has a strategic view in the future. He believes in things. He believes in democracy. He goes for it. He, he took really, really hard decisions. And sometimes when I'm leading Tivende and I'm having a hard time, I say, man, like this guy was deciding for millions of deaths every day. You know, he would say, I would do this or that. I know millions of people will die and I have to choose. So when I feel a little bit, a little bit overwhelmed, I say, amen. You're not Winston Churchill. What would Winston do? <laughs> Exercise, uh, you know, being in Chile over here, everybody either plays football like myself or goes to the gym. Which are you? Are you a gym guy or a football guy? Neither. Uh, I am a kickboxing guy. I, I practice kickboxing for a couple of years already. Uh, so I do it for, for fun. Sometimes I kick some, some guys' ass. Sometimes they kick mine. That's okay. We're all friends. We pr I practice uh, two or three times per week. I stopped for a couple of years when uh, I created Multivender. I started my family, so it was super hard to go. But I have been I, I, I have been doing it again for like almost two years already. Um, it's amazing. I, I forget everything, like uh, fighting someone or learn, learning a new book. That's amazing. I totally recommend it. I'll stick to football until the body can do it. But thank you. <laughs> Final question. If I gave you a advertising board in Times Square, tomorrow and you had to in less than 10 words post something that was going to be seen by millions of people around the world i think i got this from i don't know if it was tim ferris or i don't know some podcast i heard it and i liked i liked the question uh, i haven't thought of a good answer for myself but uh doesn't stop me from asking you uh, what would those words be 
Um, I, I don't know if I read them, read them somewhere, but um, I, I would say like, uh, don't be afraid to be, live an incredible life. Like uh, so, sometimes myself can be a little bit afraid or do like uh, do new things or try new things, and sometimes I I, I feel myself like uh, I could do more things, and why not? I mean, what to stick with a regular life or good life even if you can have an incredible one. So that's a, thing, a good thing to aim for, I think. I think Nike summarized that with three words, right? Just do it. Just do it, yes. That's one of the best slogans in the world, yeah. You just just do it and you just think of Nike. I don't know if it's the swoosh. I don't know if it's that Air Jordan logo, but they just keep doing it. You know, Nike's marketing. Did you hear what Giannis, Giannis, the Greek freak, do you watch the NBA? No, I don't follow basketball. I'll just tell you a quick story. So uh, this uh, best player in the league, in the NBA, happens to be from Greece. And he was uh, number one uh, out of eight teams to uh, advance to the next round. And they lost. They lost to Miami Heat. And at the interview, uh, after the game, they do an interview. The interviewer asked him a question that he asked the same guy a year ago. Because a year ago, he also failed to go through and win the league. Uh, it's called the NBA Championship, right? And he asked him, hey, you didn't win. Did you fail? And last year, he didn't know what to say. But this year, he had a whole year to think about it. And he told the reporter, Eric, Eric, every year you work. Every year, do you get a promotion? The guy goes, no. He goes, so did you fail? He goes, in sports... There are steps to success. And and Michael Jordan played 15 years of NBA basketball and he won six rings. Does that mean for nine years he failed? No, nobody associates Michael Jordan with a failure. So don't take it personal, but sports is not about failure. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's a process and it's a step to success. I didn't, I didn't see it live, but the next day it was all over my LinkedIn. I was like, whoa, what's LinkedIn got to do with NBA stars? It's just a, a beautiful answer. Really, I thought it was a beautiful answer. Very beautiful, yes. Matthias, uh, if the audience wants to reach you, uh, I don't know if you have a Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, how does someone reach you? I think this way is LinkedIn. You can search me, Matias Barahona. I will show up, uh, CEO of Multivende. My handle is M-A-B-A-R-A-H-O, M-A-E Barao if you want to look at me for my handle but if you search me I will show up I think first so you can write me there if you want to connect if you want to know something or tell me something that would, that would be great uh, I think that's the best place to, to reach me all that's left is to say thank you like always I enjoy talking to you I love hearing your nuggets on e-commerce and uh, I hope to remain friends with you for a long time I mean the same for you thank you thank you to my audience, thank you very much. You just heard another episode of Direct to Chile, where we navigate the Chilean market and we speak to industry leaders about what it's really like to do business in Chile. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matias like I did. And uh, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button and please share it with anybody who you think might be interested. Uh, to end, I want to thank my producers. I've not mentioned them in the shows uh, earlier, Delfina and Salvador. Without them, uh, I could not be doing this. They helped me with everything from design, editing, structuring the questions, and the editing of the sound and the video. And uh, without them, I'm going to add their notes as well and their contact details in the bottom of the podcast if you want to reach out and do your own show. I highly encourage it. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.